0: Hey everybody, it is David Green here. As you all know, Brandon's stepping away from the show at the end of the month. Now, we have some great co-hosts lined up in the new year, and we also want to take this chance to get to know anyone else out there who's interested in contributing their talent to the Bigger Pockets Podcast Network. If you think that's you, you can make a submission to our system at biggerpockets.com/talent. That's biggerpockets.com/talent. You'll see a few questions and a place to submit a video reel of yourself. Again, that's biggerpockets.com/slash talent. If you'd like to lend your voice to the growing Bigger Pockets Podcast Network.
1: This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 548.
2: Just sharking off the disasters, the failures, the times you were screwed by other people, and just focusing, very clearly focusing on how to get back on top, how to get back in the game. That has been our key to success. Is that just kind of dedication of saying what is it gonna take? And being willing to do whatever that is to get back instead of looking in your rearview mirror and being bitter at whatever just happened.
1: What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, the show where we teach people that real estate investing can change your life forever. Uh, and you're gonna hear a lot about how real estate changed too awesome buddies of mine uh, their life forever on today's show and we're going to get into a bunch of cool stuff but first let me bring in my friend my bestie and the future full like full host of the bigger pockets podcast in the new year david green david green man it is good once again to be joining you for one of our last together shows for a while It's good
0: to be joining anyone that says what you just said about me. I mean, you could do that all that you want. Mm. How how do I hire a person like you to just go before me and announce me in that same way that you just did? Well, let me just let me just add
1: to your ego a little bit. So as we jump on this call to talk a little bit ago, uh, me and David to record this introduction, he was wearing a uh, tank top (laughs) because he was getting he was getting his official shirt on that he was wearing for this episode, the one you're seeing right now. But he. I made some joke about muscles and he flexed his arms. And I'm not kidding. I have, like, I did not know you were that (laughs) ripped, David Green. I'm like, I'm not kidding. Like, you guys, I wish I could have recorded it. The guy looks like the Incredible Hulk. Uh, It was in a good way. It was uh, not so green. But, man. You're working out has been uh, made an impact. So good job, I appreciate man. appreciate it.
0: I think I do a better <laughs> job of hiding anything attractive mm. about me than anybody else that's out there. It is the best kept secret in media. I mm. promise you.
1: Mm. There you go. Well, if you uh if you want to say I'm talking about, you have to watch the YouTube video of this show. But anyway, we got to get on with this episode. We got a lot to cover today. Like I said, today's good buddies of mine. Uh, we got Mike and Tyler. They're two two awesome dudes that come out of the uh, Portland area portland oregon not portland maine portland oregon area and they're like you know when when i talk to anybody who's within like 100 miles or 200 miles of portland they know these guys they are a major player in that market they do a lot of different types of real estate we're gonna talk today about combining flips and rentals to maximize your growth we're gonna talk about doing some seller financing then something called land banking we're talk about how to vet somebody in fact they went through a really crazy crazy experience of like meeting each other in this crisis uh, being taken advantage of in this like Ponzi scheme and all that crazy story, all that more coming up. But first, let's get to today's quick tip. tip. All right, today's quick tip is brought to you by David Graydon because I didn't think of one. Today's (laughs) quick tip is...
0: Find your perfect partner.
1: As Brandon just complimented
0: my physique, which was very nice of him, he compliments me in (laughs) other ways. And we talk about that on the podcast all the the time. Today's guests compliment each other and they talk about how they bring various skill sets into a partnership. So when you're looking for a partner, a common mistake is that you find someone just like you that has all the same skills as you. And now you have two people who are fighting over the same jobs and avoiding the same jobs. You're actually looking for the opposite. So to sum that up, look for someone that's going in the same direction Direction as you, with the same values as you, but who has complementary skills than you.
1: Wow, man. That was really good. That was good on the fly. Well, all right. Well, let's get on with this episode. Today is, if you're watching this when it comes out, we're Christmas Eve Eve, right? So uh, <laughs> we are coming up on, on the Christmas holiday season. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And uh, as this greeting card that I bought online says, meowy Christmas, and yes, this is a picture of a cat in a sweater. So David, it looks I actually, I like
0: the sweater that you bought when we were shopping. It looks exactly Doesn't like it? that sweater.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, so I am actually gonna—I have this card in my hand here, David. Funny enough, I was writing this card to you when we started. Like when I realized, oh shoot, I'm supposed to be on a call with David. So this gr- this greeting card goes to you. So, man, that's very sweet of you.
0: However. You told me about this card already. So <laughs> don't think that I'm going to fall for it.
1: You're going to fall for it. It's going to be great. It's the greatest Christmas card in the history of mankind. Uh, I'm just going to say that one. So I'll tell people what it is. So, you know, I probably won't send it to each one of you. I found this on, on an Instagram ad. And when you open it up, it plays this. Can you hear that? Yes, we can. And then it doesn't stop until the battery dies three hours later. You cannot shut off the sound of the meows. So, David, I'm looking, uh, looking forward to you. Yeah, I want you to open that or I want you to give it to like one of your assistants. Be like, here, I got these cards in the mail for Christmas. Will you just open them all and like put them in your office for a while? Exactly and, what I'm going to do. Like yes, yes. <laughs> it's gonna really be great. Once you open it, there's no going back. It's hours of meowing. All right, man,
3: let's get on with today's show. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid-certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. is Rent included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six-month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit RentReady.com. That's reNTredi.com and use the code BPINVESTOR. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. Hey, bud, get out of here! It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's sixty-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get twenty percent off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
1: And now, before we bring in Mike Nuss and Tyler Combs, two good friends of mine that are killing it, anything you want to say, David?
0: Yeah. Just like your Christmas card, this podcast just won't stop. <laughs> I
1: thought you were going to say it's like meowy good or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, meow. Let's get to the episode. Mike and uh, I forget your name. Ty- Tyler. Ty- Tyler. Welcome to the... I'm just kidding, guys. Welcome to the show. How you guys doing? We're doing great, man. It is... It is so good to have you. It's been years since we've been friends and we've talked a, a thousand times about making this day a reality and it has finally come true. So I'm very excited to introduce you to the world, everybody in the world of Tyler and Mike and uh, should be a good time today. So, and in fact, I don't even know your guys' a story of how you met. So I'm going to dig into that today. But first, let's get to your individual stories. Why don't we start with any, uh, mini, mini mo, we'll go with Mike. Mike, tell us about yourself. Where, what do you do? And where'd you, uh, what were you doing before partnering with this other guy?
4: Yeah, I was a real estate appraiser. So that's how I got into the world of real estate. I was actually in high school when I started. So I was an athlete, hated school, wasn't good enough to get a scholarship or make anything of that. And I got a job opportunity to become a real estate appraiser. Um, job shadowed spring break of my senior year and then started full time after that. Um, so I did that for about five years before I bought my first piece of real estate. I'm a slow learner, not really the most aware person. I've since learned that awareness is a superpower. It took me about 20 years to understand that. So that was back in 1997. So I've spent more than half my year, my life in real estate now. Bought a handful of properties prior to the big crash, learned some lessons, 2009, wasted 26 grand on a rich dad, poor dad real estate package, which got me into the investing world. I met Tyler in 2010.
2: No way. All right. So personal section. Yeah. Yeah. How many relationships
1: have started there?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: All right. So let's, let's go to Tyler real quick. Tyler, what were you doing before meeting Mike?
2: Oh man. I was a youth pastor, a missionary. And then I finally, what was I doing when I met Mike? I had, um, I was working in some tech job, kind of working from home and I had a lot of free time. And so I started flipping houses on a whim, kind of right after the market crash, 2009 everyone seemed to be running away so I jumped in and started buying up REOs Um, and uh, I did I found all of my contractors everything off of Craigslist which at first I was really proud of and then I discovered they were all stealing from me so (laughs) I kind of had to learn some hard lessons.
1: The only contractor who has ever directly stole from me, like I gave him $5,000 for windows, he pocketed it and never showed up again, came from Craigslist. So, it's a there you go. it's a, it's a pattern. So, then you decided to meet your partner on Craigslist as well. So, tell us how like well, how did that happen? How would that go down?
2: Yeah, I uh I bought an REO that ended up being a I think it was a three year legal battle with the city um, mm. over a floodplain issue and some other stuff so I eventually did what every good flipper would do and tried to pawn it off on someone else so I put it up <laughs> on Craigslist as a uh, as a flip opportunity put all the keywords motivated seller um, you know willing to own or carry just everything so I got to actually got to know a lot of the uh the scrappy flippers in the area that were combing through Craigslist. And Mike was one of them that called on it. And uh, we had a brief conversation. He asked me all the best questions. And then, uh, and then he wisely passed on the opportunity.
1: <laughs> Mike, why'd you pass on the opportunity?
4: Um, well, I had a business partner at the time, and I don't know that I can say on this podcast the words that came out <laughs> of my mouth when I hung up the <laughs> phone but you know I, I felt for him i had a little uh appreciation for the struggle he was going through and um yeah it's uh eventually we actually ended up getting out of that project together
1: years oh ago. i was going to ask what yeah what was what was yeah what was the end of that one
2: uh ended up having to sell it at a loss um i ended up having i resolved it with the city and was able to finish the remodel and 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 sell it to somebody but after all the holding costs and i had uh some pretty interesting squatter issues while i owned it over the years so at the end of the day it was a pretty significant loss but we were uh we were moving and shaking and with all the other stuff we had going on by that time so it was a loss we could stomach
1: that makes sense all right so you found each other and uh let's get to uh like, so you find each other. What happened next? How did you end up coming together to decide to work together?
4: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that gets into a recurring <laughs> okay. Um We had met. Thanks for bringing we, up PTSD, the phone,
1: Brandon. Yeah, yeah, no problem. It's what we do yeah. here.
4: Yeah, so when I, you know, bought that, Real estate package. I, I cashed out a 401k to do that, and like I said, I had learned some lessons in the Great Crash. So I had no money, no credit. What do people that want to do real estate full time do with no money, no credit? They try to become wholesalers. Mm, yeah. So ended up finding two guys that I was able to wholesale a couple of deals to. They uh, saw value in me and said, "Hey, we're putting together this Ponzi scheme <laughs> for back of the letter, back, lack of a better term." And we want you to bring all your deals to us. And they had this little event they're putting together. I show up at this event. There's this AV guy named Tyler. And I'm like, Tyler Combs, Tyler Combs. I recognize that name. Oh, you're the guy I talked to Mm. on Craigslist. And met him in person at that point. They had conned him into doing the other end of that Ponzi scheme. So I was finding, negotiating, evaluating, and getting all the deals bringing them to the Ponzi scheme. And then Tyler was going and raising capital to fund the Ponzi scheme. And then these two guys had nice suits, nice cars, boat, nice house. They just essentially made sure there's never any profit to share. Um, And so after about dealing with that for about a year, we split off to then form our own partnership and um, started that partnership with a lot of losses stacked together that we had to build. Mm, Like
1: individual losses that you just brought to the partnership
2: not only that, but investor losses that we wanted to make right on. So people that had lend, lent us money that these other guys had stolen from, we, we took us several years to to dig out of the hole and make everyone whole again.
1: What, what exactly was the, what, what was the, the ruse or the scam or the scheme? Like what were they, what were they doing? Just taking investor money and then just living on it? Was that essentially- I mean,
2: it was a mixture of mismanagement and then just, you know, overspending, uh, taking, you know, funds that were meant for projects and buying boats and cars. And mm. and then, you know, their books were a mess, but when we dug into them, found out, you know, they were just mismanaging a lot of money and then just, you know, it wasn't all stolen. A lot of it was just poorly, poorly managed construction projects.
4: Yeah.
0: So let me jump in real fast. I'm going to ask you, if someone is listening and they're trying to vet someone who's raising money, because there's a ton of that out there right now, what are some things that they should look for that might indicate this would be
2: a bad person to invest with? That's a great question. I'd say that, you know, one, you have to get references from people that have done actually finished deals. I think that all the references that we got from these guys were from people that were mid project. So, you know, no completed deals, no one had actually gotten their money back. So I think knowing how old these references are and waiting the references that have been working for say, you know, years with the person, those are so much more valuable than someone who just started working with that person.
0: That's a great point. So you just want like references you can contact who has been paid and they can kind of testify to the experience they had.
2: Yeah. And then you can audit their books. You can ask for P&Ls of the last several projects. You can ask for balance sheets. You know, a lot of people can be really good at hiding their uh, sins in QuickBooks, but a lot of people are surprisingly dumb at the accounting. <laughs> and if you have any accounting background, you can sniff out that stuff. Like if I knew what I knew now, I'd be able to take one look at their books and, and call a spade a spade.
1: By the way, maybe we should establish right now, where were you guys at when all this happened? What city?
2: Uh, Portland.
1: Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. The uh, the weirdest city in America, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you got good donuts there. We'll so, you know, you, got, you have a good bookstore and you got good donuts. You have a few good things going for you. I actually love Portland. But today you guys have quite the empire. I mean, a lot of people, even just earlier, I was talking to my buddy Gene, who's out here, who's from like the Salem area, uh, but he's staying out here in Hawaii with me right now. And I mentioned something about I'm doing an interview today and I think I mentioned Mike, your name. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I just talked to him on the phone a while ago. He's like the guy you talk to when you have a problem or something like that. And it's like, he's just, like you just have a like, sort of reputation. You guys you guys have a name and a reputation around. So I want to go to I want to get through. Here you are starting Rocky, you know, coming together, trying to form this partnership to now you're like. A player like in the Portland space. So walk us through like what's your portfolio, or what's your business like today, and then we'll go back and fill in all the gaps.
4: Yeah, so we have a development company, um, you know, a development company that does short term projects. We have various LLCs that holds uh, a bunch of rentals. We have a property management company, and we have a brokerage. Um, and so we started as investors. And just by taking incremental steps consistently over a long period of time and the compound effect through that, we slowly built a a rental portfolio, which allowed us to then take control of our own management. By having enough properties there, we could afford our own manager. We sold enough real estate. Tyler had a broker's license. It made sense for us to start our own brokerage. And, And so then it just snowballs from there, right? And we... Have a big enough ma- name, a lot of enough marketing out there that we get a lot of real estate opportunities, and then we just kind of fit those opportunities into the various buckets that we have based on how we set
1: everything. Mm, okay. And, and what's the what's the portfolio like? Like, if you were to, is it units, a multifamily, single family, a lot of houses? Like, what's the what's the makeup of it today?
2: All right. So I'd say our our kind of rule of thumb has been to flip the single family and hold the multifamily. So, uh, almost all of our multifamily, all of our rental portfolio is small multifamily or a few single families that are tied to other multifamily acquisitions.
1: All right. So total then how many units does that make up between you guys now?
4: Yeah. Somewhere in the 80 to 85 range. Um, you know, most of that small apartments, we do have some commercial projects. Um, and then, okay. a little bit of single, a couple of single families for land banking purposes.
1: Land banking purposes. All right, we got to cover that. What is land banking purposes?
4: Yeah, it's uh, something with zoning that allows a future higher and better use with a building on it that creates an income stream to pay for itself now. Right, so it's not doesn't have a lot of value right now. Doesn't provide a lot of cash flow, but sometime in the future, when either zoning is going to change or when the neighborhood's going to be ready to be developed, then we can put it to a higher, better use.
1: That's smart. So you guys are looking down the road saying, Hey, 10 years from now, you know, this might be a really good spot to put up a parking lot or I don't know, self-storage or apartment complex. But right now it's only single family houses. We're going to keep it, hang on to it for the big picture. Is that right? Exactly. Ah, that's very cool. Yeah. An
2: example of that is like our, our office building is on a zoning where we could build a high rise structure on it. Uh, So we just put, as little amount of money as we can into the office, we bought up several things around that, uh, you know, that were adjacent to it. And later down the road, when it makes sense for us, we can build whatever we want there.
1: Now, what would what would be the plan? How 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 high is a high rise you think you you want to build?
2: We can go 105 feet, so nine to ten stories.
1: Huh. All right. Have you ever built that big yet? And on in the development side, not yet. Let's go back and fill in the. Let's go back and, and fill in the blanks a little bit. So you here you are at the beginning, struggling, not sure where you're headed. You know, debt, I guess is the best way to say it. And then today you're like this. You know, fourth in Portland. So how did you get there? Walk us through some of your uh, your journey.
4: Yeah, I think you first off is it's easier to move forward than it is to clean issues up, right? So we knew we had debts to pay off. We knew we had investors to pay off. So immediately, what do you do? You go find some short-term flips, right? So we got some flip projects. That way we could create some lump sums of cash, pay for our livelihoods, pay some investors back, and then start stacking those wins. The way we started building our rental portfolio is through seller financing. Um, So we learned some really, really good seller financing techniques to help us start building a portfolio, portfolio that then created a chessboard. So I think if you look at real estate, the idea of getting a chessboard, you have some small projects that are your pawns. You have some rooks, some knights, some bishops, some kings and queens, and you build out, get pieces on the board so you can move them around to fit your ultimate goals. But that's, we worked ourselves out. of It's probably two, two years of solid just flipping to work ourselves out of the hole.
1: Yeah. All right. That makes sense. So then let's talk about your individual roles in the partnership. Like, what do you focus on, Mike? What do you focus on, Tyler?
2: Well, so Mike does the acquisitions um, side of things. So he stirs up the chaos, finds the, the deals, helps negotiate it with our team. And, uh, and then he hands off the, the project and we're kind of working out our, our project management systems. Uh, but we recently switched where he hands off that project and uh, I manage our team that is going to be doing the, the actual flip or the construction. Uh, and then I handle the dispensation, the, uh, the selling of the flip. Um, and then he handles the, uh, if we turn it into a rental, he kind of oversees our property management company.
1: Okay. All right. And how are you finding deals today?
2: Yeah, we have various sources like
4: deal flow is a, the best analogy I've heard is, is it's like a bicycle wheel, right? You have lots of different spokes. So we do direct to seller. We do Facebook ads. We do cold calling. We do a lot of referrals, pocket listings, repeat sellers is always a great, great example, Um, bird dogs, wholesalers. And so you have to have lots of different uh, spokes on the wheel to create a good enough volume. At the end of the day, if you have a good enough volume, it's really easy to say no. And the ability to say no to a lot of deals ensures that what you're doing is ultimately going to stay profitable. And so that's kind of our ethos on how to do deal acquisition.
2: All
1: right. What, what do you guys, what's your favorite?
2: I like direct now. Our favorite type of acquisition?
1: Yeah. yeah. Acquisition pro- process. You know, is it the Facebook, the direct? I know you're doing a lot of it, but there's one that you're like, now this thing is that we're, we're really, really good at. Uh, or is there something, is it all pretty, you know, whatever comes in, comes in.
2: I think we've gotten really good at sniffing out the seller finance deals um, in a way that isn't, you know, that when we we can smell a deal that it's beneficial to the seller, there's a lot of motivation for them to do a seller finance deal and it works for our goals. Uh, We can smell that pretty fast. We know how to market to that ideal seller that has a lot of options and then when they start the conversation and they have a lot of experience in real estate and they're pretty savvy, then it's just a really fun transaction all the way through everyone wins. um, And there's not a ton of education or, or expectations that have to be realigned. I think that's probably my favorite where you get the, uh, the residual, the, um, the exchange where everyone is winning and then you're getting the, the, the long-term benefits and the partnership that extends. So your energy spent up front extends years into the future because of the seller finance.
1: Yeah. Seller financing. That's something I really want to dig in with you guys a little bit on because that's something that not, we don't talk a lot about on the show, but can be a really powerful tool. So maybe Mike, I'll start with you. Like, What is seller financing? Uh, and then how does somebody start using it?
4: Yeah, it's it, well in the IRS code, it's an installment sale, right? So you're making a down payment, and then you're structuring installments, whether that's monthly for a long period of time, whether it's monthly for a short period of time, and a balloon payment at the end. But it's just an installment to control real estate. Um, and and the key to seller financing is what makes sense from a seller perspective. I think a lot of times people say, well, I want, I need this property, I need, I need a seller finance it. and well doesn't make sense for the seller. So it starts with the seller. If it aligns with them, then you find out what installments are going to make their life flow in the way that is going to meet their goals and what can the property afford to make it successful as well. So simple as that, down payment, interest rate, monthly payments. Monthly payments can be interest only. They can be all principal. They can be negative amortization. You know, They can be whatever you want it to be. So that's the beauty of seller financing is it does not fit in a box. You can do exactly what you want to do based on what needs to happen.
0: I think that's a great point to highlight. I hear a lot of people will say, how do I get the seller to sell it to me in seller finance? And the answer is you don't. If they're not motivated to or that doesn't work for them, that's not the right strategy. But it often gets portrayed to people who don't have... Money. I mean, if you think about when someone's targeting an investor to sell a course to them or a class or something, they're looking for a person who has some form of vulnerability, bad credit, no money. That's why like everyone gets into wholesaling, right? Like you were saying earlier, and seller financing is this magical pill that will work if nothing is right. The problem is you have to dig to find usually an off market deal because like realtors aren't going to be listing a house if it's going to be selling with seller financing very often. That person is selling their house with the realtor because they want a convenient transaction where they're going to go use the money for something else. So a great piece of advice you just gave is that you got to have a motivated seller and you got to work to find a motivated seller. So can you guys share any, maybe like, I don't want to say red flags, but something that pops up that makes you go, Ooh, that person might be someone who's interested in seller financing that people can look for when they propose that
2: solution. Yeah. We call them green lights. Better than a red flag. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We call them green lights and they are, uh, I think you, it's the opposite of what you just said is the audience for the, the predatory real estate seminar. It is someone that uh, the seminar attendee is someone without options right they have poor credit the real estate seller that we're looking for if we're going to do seller finance is someone with options they have they have the option to sell with a realtor if they want to they have the option to keep renting it they have the option to uh to 1031 exchange if they want to but they have all these options a lot of times they're overwhelmed by those options and we have kind of found our niche in the ability to go in and say, all right, here's, let's lay all your options out on the table. Let's analyze them. We'll give them kind of the numbers for every scenario. And a lot of times being able to defer their tax gains over time through an installment sale is the one that meets their needs the best. So can you cover
0: that a little bit? What does that look like when somebody defers their tax gains by selling with seller financing?
2: The simplest way to put it is that they're, uh, they don 't have to pay taxes until they take the money, so if you delay the time that they have to take their money then they 're only taking they 're only paying on what they get and so a lot of times if they 're really concerned about their tax hit, they want a very small uh, down payment because then if they receive that money, they have to pay taxes on it, so they want a small down payment and they want a small uh, installment sale payment so A lot of times those payments are interest only. They're not even amortized because they want to keep that payment as small as possible. And so those balloons at the back end are very large when we do end up paying the note. But it allows us to cash flow in the meantime pretty easily. So are you... It sounds like the way that you're describing this, if I understand
0: it right, is if I sell my house and you pay me all the money up front, usually, traditionally, you get a loan, you use the money from the loan, plus your down payment to pay me, I pay capital gains on the full gain. But if I sell it to you as seller financing and I don't get all that money up front, I actually just collect a payment from you over time. I only pay taxes on the money that you are paying me. Is that correct? Exactly. So what type of person is doing something like that? Is this an experienced real estate investor? Is this a new real estate investor? Is this just a regular
2: homeowner? I'll let Mike speak to that.
4: It's the experienced real real estate owner. What we found in our life of doing a lot of it is they've owned real estate for a long period of time. They have significant capital gains. They don't need the cash. They like the income stream. They have below market rents. They have deferred maintenance. They don't want to deal with realtors. So they have a mindset of costs and expenses they want to avoid and a lot of times they want to pass on a legacy they see themselves in you um, and so then you just put all that together well you have low market rents you can increase the income stream right so you can match their net operating income that they're currently getting increase the income stream and now you have cash flow um, the fact that they don't need money they don't need a large down payment the they're they're used to cash flow. They don't like management. So you solve a lot of problems by just saying, Hey, here's a little bit of money. We're going to take control of your property. We're going to improve that property and improve the income stream. And we'll all benefit from that um, elbow grease, so to speak.
3: Yeah. I li-
1: I like this concept of like seller financing in that, again, it's not taking advantage of people. It's not saying, Hey, I'm going to trick you into it. It's like, I know a number of investors. In fact, my my mentor all growing up like, or, you know, getting into real estate, growing up as a real estate investor, Kyle, like that was always his plan. He would always tell me that. He's like, yeah, my plan is just acquire a bunch and then pay them off and then sell them off on seller financing when I get older. And that just provides me enough income to get through life. And I always thought that was cool. And he's actually doing it right now. In fact, my in-laws bought a property from him on seller financing that he had paid off. And he's just going with it. Now, do you guys ever do anything with people who don't want to pay him off? Like, do you ever do any subject to uh, or lease option stuff? Or do you only do, or, or how do you get around like the do on sale clause if they have a loan?
4: Yeah, we, subject to for us, we've we done. And we typically just do that on short-term projects. So we don't take on the risk of the do on sale clause. But yeah, lease option is a great way to get acro- around that. Um, or you have the ability to pay the loan off if it's called, right? So we've done that where it is set up a seller financing. There is a loan on it. It is disclosed. And then we just have a clause in our promissory note that should the loan get called, we will pay that loan off. Um, so you just plan ahead and accordingly for that. And don't put yourself in a position where if that loan gets called, you're going to have to take a loss or you're going to have to struggle in order to get that loan paid
2: off. Yeah, that makes sense. But the vast majority of the seller financing we do is definitely free and clear. So there's no loan on the property to begin with. And that makes it real simple. Or if there is a small loan balance, a lot of times we'll just make that the down payment. So if they owe a, a certain percentage of the the property and say it's like 20 or 30%, we'll just pay them that.
1: Well, let me ask you this then. If, if you... If your ideal like seller finance type person is an experienced investor, how does that change your marketing like what like I'm assuming you're not like writing a i mean maybe you are, but like it's I'm assuming it's not like a yellow letter with like you know misspelled words like "I buy house your house for cash money um you know it's it's probably not something like that, so what are you doing to attract people who would be willing to do seller financing for you?
2: We went back and forth on this as to like how personal do we want to make it versus kind of professional, yeah, and as we got. As we got more experience and had a legit company with acquisitions guys and realtors, we decided to go the professional route. And especially because we started targeting larger um, multifamily projects. So we have our logo and our branding on there. And we talk about being local guys that are building a portfolio in Portland. And, uh, And we talk about the experience of how we've helped people like that owner of that we've helped people in their position, save money or whatever the goal is, whatever the specific marketing campaign is. We talk about how we have helped people like them accomplish their goals.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, I feel like this is where having, you know, in the, in the book, The Multifamily Millionaire, which we just released at Bigger Pockets, I talked a lot about this thing called the crystal clear criteria, which is like, this is the property type. This is the location. This is the strategy. You know, this is like, this is what I'm doing. This is very particular what I'm doing. And when an investor knows that, one of the reasons that that's so important is it gives you the ability to then cater your marketing toward that. Like, let's say you're an investor and you're like, I'm going to do seller financing. I, that's going to be a big piece of what I do. Not that it's all you do, but let's just say it was a big piece of what you want to do. Well, great. Then you know that your ideal seller is somebody who has owned the property for maybe over 10 years or 20 years. And I, okay, great. Now you can target your marketing just to those people. You can go send direct mail to that type of person. And the letter will, will look, like something that will appeal to that type of person versus if you have no strategy or no like plan, you're just like, I'll buy anything. I just want a good deal. Then you're just sending a general message to everyone. And it doesn't appeal to anybody. And so instead I just like that concept of somebody can pull that out of this episode, like, you know, pull something from this episode, be it that like, know what you're going after, and then you can specifically target that thing. And then you can broaden what you go after, go after numerous things, but then have a plan for each of those things. Because the thing that's going to attract a 65-year-old seller, a real estate investor who's been in the game for 40 years, is very different. what's going to you know, motivate the 25-year-old kid who got in over his head in buying his first property and now wants to you move to Vegas and be a showgirl or something. I don't know. Like, it's just like, it's a, it's a different type of marketing. So, all right. So that's cool. So the, the seller financing is cool. What, what other stuff are you guys doing for financing wise? Let's say you can't go seller financing. Um, Are you doing, I mean, do you just save up money for down payments? Are you doing any kind of syndication stuff or raising money or what's that look like?
4: Yeah, we do a lot of private, private financing. Um, We haven't done anything syndication is for like a pooling money standpoint. We do have some capital partnerships where, we're bringing all the real estate expertise. Our partners are bringing capital. And we form an LLC and we have our rules in that. But it's your tri- traditional sources, private capital, hard money for our short-term projects. You know, We will get bank loans for BRRRRs on the back end. We also like to move our seller financing around. So one thing that we learned early on is financing and real estate are two separate things. And a lot of times the financing may be a long-term agreement or long-term commitment, but the real estate is not a long-term hold. And so you can sell real estate and keep the financing and use it to buy other real estate. Or you can refinance real estate, keep that financing and buy other real estate. So we've used seller financing as like a perpetual machine to help us build out our portfolio as well.
0: Are you referring to like cross collateralizing the financing you're getting?
4: No, uh, recollateralizing, substitution of collateral. Um, I actually heard this. Full disclosure, I haven't heard a lot of your podcasting. What? But you interviewed some guys. Oh. I know. I know. Blasphemy. Um, uh-huh. You interviewed, interviewed a guy, I think out of Colorado. He called it walking the mortgage. Um,
1: yeah. yeah. I remember that. But and, I don't remember what it was.
4: That. Yeah. Neither do I. But um, So, again, you created a relationship. What does a seller financer want? At first, they are intimate with the real estate, they know the real estate, that real estate makes them comfortable. But on a higher level, what they want is they want trust, they want loyalty, they want a rate of return, they want customer service, and they ultimately want collateral. The Collateral doesn't necessarily need to be the real estate that you buy. And so if you're doing a real estate transaction, whether it's a sale or a refinance, you have cash coming into escrow, but you already have a note that doesn't need to be paid off. So then you can take that Note that doesn't get paid off, and the cash that would have paid off that note to then buy another piece of real estate, refinance another piece of real estate just by recollateralizing the note and keeping the cash or giving the cash yeah, maybe, to the seller or giving it to a lender.
1: Yeah, maybe put that in a, because in, in a, this is such a powerful concept. Maybe can you wrap it into a story, whether it's a real one or example of like, you know, house A, house B? How would that work?
4: Yeah, yeah. I, so this is a really good story for you. So I got a call from Bob. Bob is amazing. And I remember Saturday, I was washing the dishes and and the phone call. You know, I know it's a piece of marketing when the the phone comes in, so I'm all prepared for it. And his first words were, do you need to pay all cash? You know, like that's the magic Mm -hmm. phone call everyone wants. And Bob knew he didn't want cash. He wanted $5,000 down. The problem was, was the piece of real estate he owned was a piece of garbage. It was in a part of town that Mm -hmm. had a high tax ratio. It needed a lot of renovation. It wouldn't have provided any cash flow at the end of the day, but we needed to put you know $100,000 into it just to make it habitable. And so what we did is we set up seller financing on that project, um, and he knew all along that we were going to sell the property, that we were going to collateralize him on that property to begin with, and then six months later we were going to give him different collateral. Now when we bought the property, we didn't know what that collateral was going to be. We just knew that we always have opportunities. We would find that piece of real estate at the end of the day. Um, and so we, we bought the property five grand down, put like a hundred into it. We sold it. And when we were in escrow to sell it, we were then in escrow to buy something else, right? So we had a cash out, a cash transaction on the buy side, and we had a sale on the front side. So as that sale came in, we owed Bob $220,000. We needed to buy a property for $220,000. So instead of paying Bob off when we sold the property, we just took Bob's $220,000 and gave it to the other seller on the buy side of the acquisition. And so we just used Bob's financing and liquidated that other piece of real estate.
1: All right. All right, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it makes sense too, because Bob trusts you, like he likes you, he likes the payment, he likes all that, so why not just become, basically he just becomes just a private lender long-term for that stuff, so that's a very A good cool.
2: chunk of our private lending uh, pool started out as sellers
3: yeah whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let RentReady handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid Certified Reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door.
1: What's the hardest part and what's the best part of flipping houses? I know you guys do a lot of flips. So what's the, what's the, what's, what do you struggle with? Uh, and, and what do you find just, you just like, oh yeah, we get in flow. This is easy. We're awesome at it.
2: <laughs> Man. I mean, the, the best part is when you underestimate everything, right? You underestimate how much that neighborhood's going to appreciate. You underestimate how hot the market's going to be. And, and you underestimate how long it's going to take you to the, do the remodel. Now, yeah. most of us that have done any flipping know that it's not super common for you to underestimate all that stuff. So it can really suck when you don't. The thing that sucks the worst for us has been, you know, when the construction budget just, you know, something gets discovered or you completely miss stuff that just blows the construction budget out of the water. That's probably the most painful. Uh, we're really good at, at kind of knowing our numbers when we go into a project, but those surprises can sting.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, what about what makes you guys each feel alive in your business? Like what's like you're like, oh, I'm re- I like this. This is my piece of the business this is what I love to do. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with you, Mike.
4: You know, I, at this point in the career, what I really like is I like seeing other people win. And like new investors get traction in their careers. Um, you know, one example is the majority of our staff have all bought a piece of real estate. And one staff member in, in, in particular has now bought three pieces of real estate over the past 18 months. Everyone has been a successful burr. One of them was seller financing that they rolled into another acquisition. They have no money out of pocket. In fact, plenty in their pocket after successfully cl- completing all those projects. So I get more appreciation seeing someone get their first deal than I do from us getting our next deal.
1: Mm. What about you, Tyler?
2: Uh, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for creativity and that's been something that's been kind of a key to our success is how crazy creative can we get on the deal structure but it's also been our kryptonite because sometimes we overcomplicate things because we have all these tools over the, that we've amassed over the years, tools of how to do uh, deals in different ways, different ways to finance it, different ways to structure the terms, uh, that sometimes we can kind of get overly complicated. So I'd say that's both par- partly my favorite thing as well as the thing that gets me in- into trouble the most is is getting too creative. Because I didn't used to think that was a thing, but it's definitely a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we see that with house
0: flippers, you know, like the boring ones tend to do the best. They just use the same materials. They don't have surprises. It's when you start trying to get creative, that mistakes tend to happen. So I definitely think there's a part of that in business. Gary Keller had a quote that was really good for real estate agents where it was something along the lines of, we get bored of doing what works. So we start doing what doesn't work and trying to make it work. And, uh, that's definitely like a, there's a fatigue in business that when you hit a rhythm and you just keep doing the same thing, it gets boring and you want to try new stuff, but that's often like the death blow for your business. So with you two each specifically, tell me what is in your future? Where are you two headed?
2: Uh, where am I headed next? I think I, I, we kind of just did some restructuring where we got rid of a lot of distractions in our business. It was painful, uh, we had to cut some overhead and cut uh some some departments completely they just really focus and so i'm really excited about diving in and becoming masters of the investing that we do and trying to kind of take a break from the shiny object syndrome that we've we've had for so long as entrepreneurs yeah. and uh brandon has uh has hit it home many a time about going uh, a mile deep instead of a mile <laughs> wide. And last time we had drinks with Brandon, he uh, he kind of asked us some pointed questions about that as well. And so we finally pulled the trigger and, and cut out a bunch uh-huh. of extra things in our business. And so now I'm really excited about the the amount of mastery that we can achieve with the extra focus.
1: Well, you probably shouldn't. I was pretty drunk that night, so I don't know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> like, no we based our whole strategy off of it <laughs> fired 40 people
0: <laughs> how much money does it cost to get drunk at monkey pod is that like I a know. 900 night with those <laughs> no it's
1: like one, drink. Mai what, one, one drink does it one mai tai. that's all it takes it
2: depends on how much of a lightweight you are and i think brandon yeah. is pretty light i'm pretty light yeah
1: i'm like all 112 pounds of me uh mike <laughs> where, where are you headed in the future where do you, where do you see the business headed
4: yeah, I'm really excited, like from an affordability standpoint, right? So affordability is an issue. Any large MSA, especially in Portland, we have affordability concerns. So we have mm-hmm. a couple of things in the works. Um, we've taken an advantage of a new zoning program in Portland, which allows you to build more than one unit on a single family lot. So we can have a house with two ADUs. We can have a duplex with an ADU. We can have three plexes or four plexes, or we can do cottage clusters and get up to eight units. Um, wow. On city lots, right? So we permit density at the city level, and then we can condo convert at the state level to then set up to divide up ownership and sell. And so what this allows us to do is lower our land cost basis to then bring new construction at a price point that's just almost nearly impossible to get in really high demand portions of Portland. And then on top of that, we we've, we've been uh, we bought a piece of property that we can ev- eventually build a 60 unit. Um, affordability, affordable housing, apartment building on as well. So I'm excited to kind of start adding, changing the value we add to our community here locally.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the idea like when you're in a city like, yeah, where there's major problems like Portland with affordability, when you can become a solution for that. I just think there's a lot of power there. So right on, man. Well, with that said, we're going to move on toward the end of the show. I think we're like 40 minutes into this thing. So gets us closer to the end here. The next is our Famous Four. All right. This is the Famous Four. It's the same four questions we ask every guest every week. So let's throw them at you guys each. So why don't we start? We'll start with Tyler each time and then move to Mike. So Tyler, first question for you. Favorite, all-time, or current favorite real estate-related book?
2: My favorite, and I will call this a real estate-related book, uh, Crucial Conversations. Uh, Just because it's so applicable in both the way we run our business and the conversations we have with sellers, with uh, other agents, with kind of everyone involved in the transaction. It's really, I read it again recently, it's really helped me kind of revisit the way I uh, structure the conversations I've been having.
1: All right. What about you, Mike? I'm going
4: to go with my favorite two authors, and I'm not just kissing ass, but uh, Brian Murray Mm. and Brandon Turner are amazing authors when it comes to their level of experience and the ability to put it on paper that allows people to implement and take action in their lives. When I read books, I rate them based on the level, the ease to implementation, uh, and I think Multifamily Millionaire um, hits that in spades.
1: Oh, thanks, man. You might be the first multifamily millionaire mentioner on the show. I'm not sure. Well,
4: thank you. It's <laughs> a new book. Give it time.
1: Mm, yeah. We'll give it time. All right. Number two, David, what
0: are your favorite business books? I'll let Mike go.
4: Uh, I I really like compound effect. I think that's a great one. I'm sure a lot of people mm, mentioned me that, too. but I'm a big fan of Benjamin Hardy. Um, personality is impermanent. Um, game gap, gap versus gap gain in is the game. latest one gap in the game. Um, to me, who you are as a person is going to speak volumes to who you are as a businessman or a business leader. And so your personality or how you look at things, how you take on um, challenges in life are extremely important. So I look more on that of who am I? Because at the end of the day, that relates too much to business.
1: All right. Yeah. Gap in the gain. Uh, I just, I'm just about finished with it. I got a few like minutes left in the audio book, but that is a phenomenal book. I really, really enjoy that a lot. So, all right, Tyler, anything you want to add to that business books that you're loving?
2: My friend Ashley just recommended a book recently called thinking in bets that has been super brought some new energy into the way I process my business decisions. Cause in our relationship with our partnership, I would definitely be the overthinker, the one that wants to slow down and, and have a plan and uh, and would be the one that would suffer from analysis paralysis. So have a book like Thinking in Bets that teaches you how to make decisions faster um, with less information. It was really helpful for me.
1: Yeah, we had uh, right. Annie Annie Duke, right? She was on our podcast mm-hmm. a long time ago. I wasn't on that oh, no? episode. But yeah, Josh interviewed her with, I think, Scott uh, back years ago. So we'll it was the Scott and I. On. Oh, was it you yeah. and Scott, okay.
0: All right, next question. What are some of your hobbies?
4: Yeah. I like to golf. I learned how to wake surf this past summer. I do a lot of hiking, a lot of trail running. So typically for me, it's getting outside
2: Tyler. For me, it's uh, I have two little girls that love the outdoors or at least they don't have any other choice. Um, they're, they're going to learn to love them. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) so I'd go, uh, I love the snowboard, mountain bike, paddleboard. And we've just been doing a ton of camping and road tripping this summer and uh, going to go into fall doing some back country stuff. So uh, just getting outdoors and playing will be a lot of fun.
1: Awesome, man. All right. Well, last question for me and we'll ask each of you this. What separates successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Tyler, you want to start? Sure.
2: I mean, if I look back at all of our critical moments, it's definitely that idea of just shrugging off the disasters, the failures, the times you were screwed by other people and just focusing, very clearly focusing on how to get back on top, how to get back in the game. Uh, and that that has been our key to success. Is that just kind of dedication of saying, what is it going to take and being willing to do? Whatever that is uh, to get back instead of looking in your rearview mirror and being bitter at whatever just happened.
1: Mm. Yeah, man. What about you?
4: Yeah, I'd say for me, you know, short term memory, forgiveness, strong ego, not having to win. Like a great book actually is uh, Infinite Leadership by uh, Simon Sinek. Just having that mindset that keeping mm. in motion, you don't have to win the game. You just have to keep playing game. And that mindset really is, has gone one, done wonders for us.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I've not, I've not read that one, but uh, I started it. I read the first like, chapter and then it somehow set it down. I never picked that like, up again, but I, I need to because I take, I take your recommendations seriously. So with that said, guys, thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast. So I'll let David ask the final question. Where can people find out more about you?
2: Well, for our combined YouTube page, that would be Rarebird Real Estate. Just search that on YouTube. And that's where we have a lot of our content that we've put out over the years. Uh, and then for socials, my social is I am Tyler Combs, Combs with a C. And uh, Mike, you think you just had to get a new social? What's your Instagram handle?
4: Yeah, Rarebird underscore Mike. And I highly recommend setting up dual authentication because I had my <laughs> oh, account <compact. no>. hacked. <laughs> so um, I'm kicked off oh. Facebook. I can't get back on Facebook. And I had to redo Instagram. And so... Uh, Dang, man. Time.
1: Sorry. That <laughs> sucks. Well, I'll be... Uh, I'll go get... I'll, I'll, I'll put a post on my Instagram later and tell people to go follow you, build you back up a little bit. Uh, Guys.
4: In debt of gratitude. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate you a ton, and uh, thanks for being part of my community, my tribe, my people. So it's, it's been awesome getting to know you guys the last few years.
4: You as well, man. Appreciate you.
1: All right. Well, that was an interview with Mike Nuss and Tyler Combs. These guys are incredibly smart and talented. So make sure you guys connect with them uh, over on social, and uh, you know follow Bigger Pockets for more episodes just like this. Of course. Uh, This is one of my last episodes going to be airing. I think my last episode is going to be on uh, the 30th of December. And then David takes over as host as I sail off to go do some more surfing and family time for a while, taking a little sabbatical. So I'll see you. I'll be back again, of course, and I'll be here on the show many times in the next year, but going to take a few months at least to just relax. So David, it's on you, man. For people that miss you, Brandon, what can people do to help you in
0: this next phase of your life? What are you looking for?
1: Uh, You can send me teddy bears, uh, preferably uh, cat teddy bears with like sweaters. That would be a probably good thing. Uh, Or you can follow me on Instagram. I'll still be active there. Beardy Brandon. So hang out with me there. I don't know how active I'll be. Anything we can expect (laughs) (laughs) from Open Door
0: Capital? Is there any reveals that you can drop in
1: this podcast? Mm. Oh, man. We just got done with our annual goal planning thing like we are going to the moon and we're actually changing our name from open door capital just shortened it to odc because of the confusion with open door the other company so odc is uh yeah but we're gonna buy some massive apartments this year so if anybody has any hundred million million dollar plus apartment complexes let me know there you have it
0: all right sounds
1: good anything we should say before we get out of here
0: i don't know man just appreciate you a lot
1: thanks for uh for being a good friend
0: thank you brandon that's incredibly sweet of you and for the the guidance that you give me over the years i've told everyone that you'll sort of be steering me from behind the scenes like the uh, the good friend that you are so your spirit will live on forever <laughs> as well as it will be looking at us from above from our yes, in bobblehead the, our bobblehead partnership it's great <laughs> awesome get us out of here man all right this is david green for brandon odc turner signing off
3: All in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha.